Welcome back to the For the Ladies podcast and our new series, Mixed Bag. I recently met Justin Cruz, who is a risk advisor in Toledo, Ohio. Yes, we met at a tequila night where I laughed so hard with his wife, Stephanie, while they shared their golf stories with me. Yes, we're now doing a podcast. Over the years, Justin has gone from being a general golf fan to an avid fan of women's golf, but I'll let him share more of his story with you. After some tequila and good conversation, we decided we should talk about women's golf together on a podcast. Now I present to you, Mixed Bag. We'll talk about what's happening in women's golf. Justin will try to stump me with golf facts. And who knows what else we'll add to this little experiment. It's a mixed bag. This first one is a bit long, but we hope to make these quick and snappy for you in future weeks. Enjoy. And then this is what we do. It's how it gets started. Keep it super casual. We need the one thing we do need to do is like kind of come up with like a name for the series. Yeah, we'll come up with something creative. Yeah, we'll get there eventually. I mean, you're the communications background. I know. So we'll we'll start to I'll I'll noodle on that tonight if I'm going to have this come out tomorrow. (laughs) Perfect. Did Uh, Did you have to buy like a bunch of fancy? software and stuff like that to do this or if you just kind of you know put this together you know organically I mean I have no idea how you launch a podcast I just listen to them yeah no I mean zoom is free and then I have like I mean I have like a mixing software but pretty much anyone can get those and I don't it's not it's not very hard you just have to you know follow directions well and you can put together a podcast Perfect. Yeah. Well, welcome to the For the Ladies podcast. I'm honored to be here, to be perfectly honest. (laughs) It's going to be great. I mean, the podcast is not just for ladies. It's for anyone, but we're going to talk about women's golf. So I think um, for, I mean, people don't know you. (laughs) So, I mean, I think we should, no. So I think you should probably introduce yourself who is Justin Cruz and, and when did you get into golf? Sure. So my name is Justin Cruz. I am from the bustling metropolis of Toledo, Ohio. Uh, unlike you, I haven't traveled around the world. I'm more like a townie. So I, I left for school and I came back. But in terms of golf, I grew up around golf. My parents got into golf later in life, uh, you know, enjoyed playing with my family growing up. It was a decent high school golfer um, that kind of parlayed into playing college golf at Miami University uh, in Oxford, Ohio. I had a very, very marginal college golf career. It was a great experience, but I wasn't very good. Um, I stuck it out for four years and I loved it. It was a great experience. The events I played in, I got to travel, got to play with some good players despite my limited abilities, but um, I still play in some state am type events. I try to play in the occasional USGA qualifiers to make my donation to that fine organization. <laughs> yeah. With the hopes of, you know, I've played in one USGA championship. I have no illusions of ever playing in another, but every so often I like to go out and, you know, give it a try. But, you know, I've always liked golf. I've done some, you know, kind of on and off commentary for a Michigan radio show and a local radio show to talk about 
everything from the Masters to the Solheim Cup to when the Junior Am was in Toledo. Uh, and that was just kind of something that came along organically with a buddy of mine that's the radio host. And, you know, you here and, we I, are. and I said, here we are. Let's do it. <laughs> um, well, the reason that we are doing it is because you are interested in LPGA and women's golf. So what about it piqued your interest? Why, why are we here? Yeah, I think, you know, what I first brought up to you was not so long ago, I was looking, you know, through podcast platforms and just noticed that there wasn't a lot that came up that was any type of insight or recap uh, regarding, you know, what happened in the most recent tournaments who are different players to keep your eye on. Um, and I just thought that seemed to be a little bit of a gap, but I obviously didn't have the platform as you so eloquently said, nobody knows who I am. Um, <laughs> a lot of people know who you are. So maybe it gives me the opportunity to talk about something that I've kind of started to enjoy and get more into and focus on more just as a fan. Um, and then, you know, something to add on to the wonderful stuff that you're doing. Yeah, thanks. I mean, I think for me, I've always wanted somebody to be able to chat about women's professional golf with me. And I do in like, you know, group chats with friends and stuff. But, you know, there people there, you have to take the next step, the next step of wanting to actually talk about it and do it on a podcast. So I thank you for being here and doing it. Hey, you know, I'm honored to be included. <laughs> yeah. So now you have to tell us about hosting an LPGA tour player during the marathon classic in Sylvania. Yeah. It was a great experience. So, I mean, just to not totally get off track, but just in terms of kind of how we got here with, you know, my appreciation for the LPGA, I think, you know, growing up in Toledo, there's been, you know, it'll always be the Jamie Farr classic to me, especially if you're of a certain age. So now it's the marathon classic. And, you know, I went out to that event a lot as a little kid would go out to it, you know, as an adult on more of a corporate networking type situation, you know, have some cocktails, watch some golf, never really had a strong vested rooting interest in maybe a particular player or anything of that note, you know, had a lot of respect for the abilities of the player, but was, it was very casual, you know, fast forward about a year ago, or even before that, you know, Inverness is awarded the Solheim Cup. So my wife and I are fortunate enough to be members there like yourself. We get assigned, you know, a great task in being the chairs of the driving range, which to me is literally an incredibly easy job given that there's just 24 players, but it's also going to be an incredibly rewarding experience. You're going to be right there. You're going to have a chance to interact with the players every day, see how they practice, prepare, and really have an inside the ropes experience. So through that, um, in a couple of years now of being involved in those meetings, I got to meet a lot of people involved in the LPGA. You know, you recently had Becky Newell on your podcast, Alex Graff, who I know who's from Toledo, she's also there. And then, you know, Dennis and Aaron and a lot of other people that are involved and pour their heart and souls into the event. And you learn more about the event, get a greater appreciation for the event itself. So that's been really cool for me, really cool for my wife. I think yeah. the first thing that kind of got the ball rolling for my, you know, fandom of the LPGA beyond just that was when Inverness had the opportunity to host, I like to call it drive on Uno, 
because there yes. was also drive on dose that we talked about. <laughs> but we got Uno. So yeah, we got Uno. Mike Juan got dose at his home course. So that was cool with the boats, <laughs> but we did get we got drive on Uno. So my <laughs> wife and I both served as live scorers and walked around inside the ropes. And the players for that three-day event were so friendly, so appreciative, so welcoming as you know, to say, hey, thank you as a member for having this event. Thank you for coming out and volunteering your time. And again, there's no fans. There's no, you know, the media coverage was decent from the Golf Channel standpoint, but by no means overwhelming. So it was just you, the players, and the caddies, and you're walking right there. And it just was a great experience. Again, you know, my wife followed a couple groups she had good experiences with players. And then we started to follow some of those players through the remainder of the season. So then you start to have a rooting interest in a couple of players. And I really think, you know, these immersive type experiences are what people need to, you know, not only just appreciate the talent and the abilities, but kind of have a rooting interest. You know, in sports, it's all about who's your team. You know, maybe that's geographic oriented in terms of, you know, where you're from or in certain sports, it's, you know, a national team. But I think in golf, you really, you know, you need to have a player or some sort of a, a connection. And that's kind of what, you know, started last year with the drive on. Sure. Well, then, I know I'm getting long winded here. Um, <laughs> it's fine. We're not on a schedule. That's the greatest right. part. <laughs> I was listening to a podcast with the Monday qualifier guys mm-hmm. later of this year, kind of before they really blew up. And they had a couple players on. One was from the Corn Ferry. One was a Symmetra player. And they just were talking about, you know, the finances of the Symmetra Tour versus the LPGA Tour and things like entry fees and housing and travel. And really a lot of your costs are similar at a, you know, fraction of the prize pool. And in that podcast, the player who they interviewed was Casey Danielson, who played at Stanford. And she said that, you know, it's great if, you can stay with a host family. Not only is it more accommodating and staying in a, you know, a Hampton Inn or wherever it may be, I'm mm-hmm. that hotel of choice for the USGA is. So I don't, do we have, do you have a hotel of choice yet? I don't think so. So you're okay. Okay. So we're okay. Maybe Hilton's, <laughs> Hampton's owned by Hilton. So starting to stay at a Hilton property. <laughs> um, and you have a place to go, home cooked meals, you're meeting with people, you're interacting with people. And obviously it's a tremendous cost saver. So I ran this by Steph, my wife. I said, hey, I think we should do this. We have the space. It's just the two of us. Let's reach out to the folks that we know at the marathon and see if we can host a player. And that's what I did. I reached out to Heather Warga, who's worked at the marathon. I kind of got to know her through the Solheim and said, hey, Stephanie and I would gladly host a player for the marathon this year. The one kind of pseudo caveat being Ideally, could it be a younger player that's maybe up and coming that would really benefit, you know, from, you know, the six or seven nights of free housing? Sure. You know, time goes by, don't hear much. Heather says, hey, we've got a player for you. This is about a month, six weeks before the tournament. Here's her name, information, email. Feel free to reach out. And there you go. So that got the ball rolling. Um, you know, we reached out probably two weeks before and just kind of said, you know, hey, is there anything you need? You know, snacks, drinks, 
you know, trying to be as accommodating as possible because we've never done this. Right. You know, she responded with, you know, what kind of she prefers to eat for breakfast, things of that nature. And it kind of went from there. But yeah, it was hilarious in the weeks leading up to hosting our player. You know, we both started to follow her, you know, not only on social media, but more importantly, you know, during these tournaments. And that's where you you're rooting and cheering for someone watching live scoring that you've never met that you have yeah. no connection to except for the fact that in two or three, four weeks, they're going to be staying with you. It's, it's the oddest thing. And then the week before she came and stayed with us, she finished fourth at the VOA in Texas, got a lot of TV time. And that just kind of, you know, made it even more exciting for us because she was coming here, you know, 24 hours after having kind of a career changing finish. Yeah. Yeah. It, it so you've awesome. always been like women's golf adjacent and now you're, you're all in. I think that's very accurate and largely women's golf somewhat informed, but also uninformed. You know, I, I, my wife and I love going to golf tournaments and, you know, part of going to golf tournaments is seeing people that you are fans of seeing people that you support. And, you know, there's no better way than to have someone stay with you, you know, stay in your home, have dinner with them. And then you find yourself, you know, I think we went out and watched about 27 of her 54 holes because the last day got rained out. We did try to go out. We tried to go out the last day in the rain, watched her hit like one shot in the pouring rain. And then they, they called it, but we were all in. So we were out there in our rain gear and, you know, but, you know, now, you know, weeks later, she's still, you know, texting my wife and communicating and we're, you know, still rooting her on. And, you know, hopefully I think she'll come back and probably stay with us again, but you make a connection with someone that lasts for a while. Yeah. Yeah. And although not everyone can do that, well, what we're going to try to do at least is keep people interested in, in women's golf and, and maybe, provide some stories along the way, whether it's like things that happen when we're at the Solheim cup or, um, just provide a recap. And we're going to try to keep it pretty like segmented so that it keeps us on task. Cause otherwise I think we could, we could stray away from that. <laughs> and I think it's true. Like I talk about like an immersive, you know, all an experience. Sure. Not everyone's hometown or course is going to host a Solheim cup or not everyone's afforded the opportunity to host a player, but I encourage people to get out to an event, volunteer for an event, volunteer to be a marshal or a scorer, because that's kind of how it started for us. You know, we volunteered to, to, to be a walking score. Now, that was a unique event with no fans. But again, if you get out to an event and you see the quality of the players and how good the level of golf is, mm-hmm. you know, that's you get a better appreciation for you know, not only the, the names, you know, at the top of the leaderboard and the top of the world rankings, but the players, you know, the player that stayed with us, I guess I should say her name, Anna Bilotz. She played at Duke, was an All-American, was on a national championship team a couple years ago. Um, she's top 80 on the CME stance or standings as a rookie. So she's doing pretty well in my mind, made the yeah. cut at Evian, but, you know, not everyone can get those opportunities, but you go follow these groups and you see 
you know, maybe it's someone that's went to the same college you went to, or maybe it's someone that's from the same area you went to. And, you know, you kind of become a fan that way. You know, there's lots of people watching, you know, the top end players and they deservedly, you know, so deserve the credit and, and the crowds, but there's a lot of really good golf for, you know, some of the young players and some of the rookies that, or even, you know, veterans that aren't as well known. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good point. There's always a, a reason that you can become a fan of someone and it's not necessarily just the top in the world. Right. Well, we're going to start with our first segment, which is recapping the week that was of the Evian Championship, the Amundi Evian Championship. And just like the quick rundown, I guess, of it. I mean, overall, Minji Lee won. She won in a sudden death playoff against Jen Lee Six. And mm-hmm. she came back um, on the final day, came back from seven shots after um, Lee Six had a pretty bad final round showing aside from the final few holes. Um, but I think I, you know, I think regardless, it's great for television. It's great for a tournament when it comes down to the wire and it's not necessarily a runaway. Um, but what, what did you, did you watch the final round? Did you notice what happened with Lee six on Sunday? Um, did, what, what were your thoughts? Yeah. I watched most of it. Uh, I was shocked by the time I turned it on early in the front nine, she had pretty much lost her lead. I think yeah. she lost like the fifth or sixth hole um, and really looked like it could be a, a total meltdown. Um, I give her a ton of credit, Lee Six, for hanging in there. I mean, it, it looked like she was done. She you know came through with, like you mentioned, the birdies at the end, gets herself into the playoff and then you know Minji hit a great shot you know in the playoff and deservedly won I'm I mean a lot of credit to Minji I mean Bethann Nichols I think had the article about the top players never to win a major and she was on there and I think she was I mean it was a fair assessment I think anytime those articles are put out there players don't like them but the reality of the situation is when you've had multiple wins and you're a you know an accomplished amateur as she was, and you don't have a major championship, sometimes those titles are deserved. Um, we don't need to get into the minutia of where on the major championship totem pole, the Evian Amundi championship ranks, but we can discuss that at another time. <laughs> but we could at least give her her major. Right. And <laughs> it is now a major. It yes. In B Park, even though she has won the tournament but it was a major so you know she came from way back she played a great round of golf she kind of gets that proverbial monkey off her back what does that mean moving forward you know this everyone loves to project like Nelly wins a major how many more is she going to win right Minji finally wins a major how many more is she going to win and they do this this is like the favorite golf channel talking point you know, okay, so-and-so finally wins a major, whether it's on the men's side or the women's side. And they're like, okay, I think they're going to win six. And four years later, they still have one. And you know? meanwhile, this year on the LPGA tour, it's been most all first time winners, at least in 2021. And right. I think, I can't remember what it is. Like 14 out of the last 15 major champions have been first time winners. So, um, excuse me. Is it nine in a row? Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, I mean, you could say that maybe she'll go on and win six more, but at the same time, like the depth of competition on the LPGA tour and, and PGA tour too, it's like, 
you just, it, it's hard to say like how many of these, these players are going to have multiple major wins. Right. It's not easy. There's always no. an influx of new young talent. You look at the number of good players, just in looking at like the fields in the Olympics and the fields next week that haven't even won an LPGA event, let alone a major, you know, it, it's, it's hard to project. And then so much of it too is, you know, course fit, you know, things of that nature. So I think it's hard to project, but it was a great finish. It was super close. You had a lot of, you know, prominent players, you know, you leave me know a young American has a great showing. It was good television. And you know what, even though it moved from golf channel to CNBC, it was on television a lot. And I know the LPGA battles, some of their TV contracts, there was a lot of, you know, publicity about, you know, the marathon and, when that was here and kind of their TV situation. So, Hey, they had a lot of live television, a lot of eyeballs. It's great. Bloody Mary or Mimosa golf, especially when it's in Europe. So you can't right. complain about that. Yeah. I like that. That instead of coffee golf, you call it oh, bloody Mary golf. <laughs> coffee golf is who? Okay, fine. Everybody drinks coffee, but it's a Saturday or Sunday. Why can't it just be bloody Mary? golf? I know. I think that's fair. I mean, speaking of um, Yili Mino, she's so young. And I think that's something that people also forget is she's only 19. She's still a teenager and she's number 62 in the world. Um, I mean, it just adds to the allure of all of these first time major champions and it will probably just continue. Right. And, you know, you look at her as she's someone that could sneak her way onto the American Solheim team. Maybe, or is that again kind of becoming a prisoner of the moment and projecting majors? I think she showed very well. I thought she had it won with five holes to go and kind of flatlined. Didn't really hit any bad shots, but didn't hit any great shots, couldn't get the putts to go. And maybe that's youth and inexperience, pressure. I mean, winning any golf tournament is hard. I don't care if it's a major, if it's, you know, a Symmetra tour, it doesn't matter. Any professional golf tournament is hard to win, but I think if she could string another couple decent finishes together in the next couple weeks, I don't know what events she's in or isn't in. I presume she'll probably play the Scottish and I'm sure she's in the AIG. So, you know, it'd be nice to get some more influx of young Americans. I thought her press conference and interview afterwards, she handled it with a lot of grace and a lot of poise, um, you know, which is always good to see. I think you could tell in the interview that she realized kind of the, the opportunity that she let go. Sure. I think oftentimes you think about, oh, you know, you'll get more opportunities. And sometimes certain players just don't for whatever yeah. reason, to the fault of their own. So I think that's the hardest thing when you go to the next event, like with five or six holes to go, you probably should have won. And, right. and, and then it's like, oh, it's okay. You're 19 or you just, I think you just turned 20 this week. You'll get more chances. And maybe that was her chance. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, just like, it's one of those like time will tell. And it's, it's I like that you brought up Solheim Cup. I just think it's interesting, like the captain's pick side of things. Cause I think, it is the top seven in their rankings who will get on the team automatically. And then I believe three um, captain's picks. So we'll be curious. I will be very curious if they will pick um, past 
team members, like an angel yin or somebody with experience who maybe isn't playing, um, who ha isn't in those top rankings, or will they like take a chance on someone like uh, Yaley Mino? Uh, yeah. It's I don't so know hard to tell. I don't know if it's, is it's eight and four, or I don't know, because the Europeans have There's a well, way different, yeah. Right. They're only How picking two. It is very confusing. Um, I like have been posting about it pretty regularly um, because it, this, the rankings change so much. Um, let's see. So yeah, Team USA will include the top seven players on the, PG, on the LPGA Solheim Cup points list. The next two highest ranked eligible players in the Rolex Women's Golf Rankings and then three captain's picks. So I guess yeah. like, oh, I. It kind of depends. Like Yalimi could come in through a different way, um, mm. but I'm guessing it will most likely be. It's so hard to tell. A lot of it, it depends. Somebody in the top ten. Yeah, roster makeup. I know they had a a practice round or an invited yep. Inverness a couple weeks ago, and I happened to be out there for a meeting. And there was, you know, some bet. You know, Brittany Linsicum was there, and Angela Stanford was playing, and they're both outside you know the right. top 12 or angela stanford's maybe right she's right in it i think range but i know she's also an assistant captain so i think it just depends how you want to make up the roster i think if you're going to take a chance on a younger player it's a lot easier to take a chance when you're playing domestically which is when you're playing in europe you're going to have the crowd support especially this year where it's going to be overwhelmingly you know american fans based on covid travel restrictions and things of that nature that if you were going to bring in a young player that's maybe inexperienced on the international level, you know, that's kind of your perfect opportunity. But, you know, there's always, you know, questionable and, you know, sometimes interesting picks. A lot of it depends on personality makeup. If there's someone that's, you know, in the top three or four or five, that's one of the, the heaviers on the team and they really want to go to bat for a veteran or a friend that's 15th or 16th, you know, that has to carry some weight as well. So I'm just a big advocate for giving new people and new blood and new energy in any of these team events. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's great. It gives people something to talk about too, and maybe can turn them into a star. Um, yeah. Well, to tie a bow on the Evian, I'm, I think I should ask you like how many stars would you give out of five to the, to the Evian championship? <laughs> um, on my, uh, JK unofficial rankings. Yes. I would the um, finish and compellingness of said finish and how well, you know, Minji and Lee Six played the last four holes. I'd say, you know, we're going to go Olympic scoring in the theme of the Olympics. That's at least like a 4.2 out of five. Okay. I'd say that's pretty good. My Great overall score for the event it's as a whole I think it's a beautiful setting on Lake Geneva I love watching early morning mimosa golf <laughs> I don't believe it's the best major championship venue especially when you look at Abby all the great courses that the KPMG the AIG Women's British Open and the U.S. Open have lined up in the next like two to four years when you've got Carnoustie, Muirfield, St. Andrews, 
um, congressional, you know, just we're at Olympic Club. Pebble, yeah. Pebble's coming back. So that's, you know, seven, eight world-class, legitimate top, you know, Muirfield's usually top five to 10 in the world. I just don't think Evian quite carries. So what's your stars? I need your stars though. That's a 2.7 out of five stars. For overall. Oh no, overall, overall. It's a it's a four. It's a four point zero overall because okay. such a good finish and a deserving winner won. A very accomplished player was in second. A great young up and comer was right there. It was a good leaderboard. It's a it's a solid four point zero. Okay. All right. Our next segment is um Justin's fact of the week for Abby because when we were having when we were at a tequila tasting in Toledo. Um, you kept tossing out all these like facts and I was like, yeah, I know, I know, Justin. (laughs) I'm used to hanging out with people that aren't aware of my golfing fun facts. And you just shot me down with every (laughs) golf fun fact that I had. But my fun fact for this week for the Evian was, did you happen to see which hole was the Evian or not the the Aeon? The Aeon risk reward hole. So you're going to. I'm sure you cheated. I'm sure you cheated. No, I didn't because I saw that you put that on there. I was like, well, I, we, we can't, I can't just like go look. I will say I did see Beth Ann Nichols tweet about it. And I know, I believe it was a par three. Yeah, it was. I don't know what it was though. It was the par three 14th hole. Okay. Longer hole. It was, it played in excess of 200 yards, but I just laugh at the idea of a risk reward challenge and multiple people commented at the end's tweet saying what did what, did you lay up did you, did you <laughs> risk of going to the green so my fun fact which kind of ties into my lukewarm appreciation of the Evian championship course is that the risk reward hole was a par three and not a par three over water mind you it was just a long par yeah, I, I don't, I don't any, think. I doubt any players laid up. It just doesn't really, it doesn't define risk reward. <laughs> I'm just, I'm merely pointing out that a long par three without water was the risk reward challenge hole. Fair so. enough. Well, we've made it through two of our segments, so we're crushing this. But we are, we are. So the preview for this week is a LAT and LPGA um, event that is also tied in with the European tour. And that is the ISPS Honda World Invitational presented by Modest Golf Management. <laughs> not the, not the easiest title to say. Rolls um, <laughs> really rolls off the tongue. I do, like, but I wonder like, how do they shorten that? Like what do you, the Honda world invitational? Like how, you got to yeah. get those sponsor mentions in there. I know. I know. I mean, cause like Evian championship has a Monday, but we've kind of like, right. we took that out. Okay. Um, well, this one is really, 
I think it's a really cool concept. The men and women compete together at the same time for the same amount of prize money. Um, it's the first kind of event in this space. Um, it's a tri-sanctioned event, like I said, between the LPGA Tour, LET, which is the Ladies European Tour, and the Men's European Tour. Um, I think what's what's exciting about it and what makes it intriguing for players to compete in it is like they're getting all these points if they mm. participate and play well. And I, you know, until this becomes a norm or something that more regularly happens, people need it, like the guys kind of need these incentives to participate. Um, and so they get the race to Dubai points, Ryder Cup points for the women, they get the CME Globe. On the LPGA Tour, the race to Costa del Sol on the LET, and then of course Solheim Cup. So there's all these incentives to participate um, outside of just it's the right thing to do. So I'm excited about it. Um, Niall Horan is uh, like really he's like in charge. I think he's from Modest Golf Management. I think that he like owns it or is a big part of it. Uh, he's so been I, tweeting a lot about it. So yes. Yes, he, he is very involved. I think it's part of his golf management company. Um, but I think it's a really cool thing. Um, I wish the field was better, but like, how do you compete with the same week as the Olympics? So yeah, I think it's a great event. It's a good piggyback off of the LET and European tour event early in the year in Sweden, where it was the, they were competing against each other. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, two different courses on Thursday, Friday, everybody plays the same course Saturday, Sunday. It's a good opportunity, you know, Jennifer Cup chose playing. There's some players that have an opportunity in there to pick up their first LPGA win. That's kind of where my attention, you know, initially looked at when I looked at the field list, because as we discussed, you know, it isn't, you know, the best field, um, you know, Lee Six is playing, Charlie Hull's playing, Lizette Salas is playing. So, you know, you have some recognizable names, but yeah. you know, I think this tournament has legs. The purse is a little small relative to some of the recent LPGA purses and some of the upcoming events too. And it's just in a weird spot on the schedule, because if you look at the field, you have some players that are coming over for this event, but then you've got a break and then you have the Scottish. So I presume no one's staying through the break and then the players that were at Evian a lot of those top players went to the Olympics or you know maybe just went home or you know in certain cases never went to Evian right. so I think the tournament has potential it has interest I mean we talked about the you know the 2014 women's and men's open and what a success that was both at, at you know Pinehurst and to see how the courses play for the men and play for the women I think is good television. It's interesting. Um, unfortunately, this event just is on a, a golf course that they played the Irish Open at recently, but isn't super mm. well known. And again, it's just a, a bad date on the calendar and maybe they can overcome that next year. But it's like they almost need to tie this in to if they can, like the women's Scottish the women's, you know, AIG British Open and a kind of a three-week run of events, and maybe that helps. But hey, it's a great concept. We talked about this too. I mean, the the European tour kills it on social media. I mean, yeah. the stuff they do is very funny, very engaging, and you know, any time that you can kind of hook up with them 
and what they're doing, I think that's great. I think, like I said, the event has legs. It's going to take some lumps this year. It's not going to get a ton of publicity. It does have, you know, some good television coverage, but I, I think it's 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 going to kind of be one of those things you got to take a wait and see and see how it all plays out. And again, the best thing that could happen is someone like a, a Jennifer Cup show or someone like a Lizette Salas that's well-known or a prominent European that's going to be on the Solheim Cup team wins this event. You know, Stephanie Meadow won the last time it was played and, you know, she's kind of the hometown player, but she's in the Olympics and she's not playing. So you yeah. lose some of that, but I think the best case scenario is someone like that wins, elevates it moving forward. But I think the format, you know, has potential. Yeah, formats there, definitely more money. I think that like that's kind of where they probably had to make up for it with those incentives like points because yeah, like otherwise, you know, it's not a big purse, especially, I mean, frankly, on the men's side, the purses are just bigger. So like elevating both, you know, all ships, the rise, the tide. So I'm just curious. uh, I'm I'm just, I'm very curious about it all. Um, But the bonus is people can watch it all on golf channel. It will be mimosa, mimosa golf. Uh, which is great because it's from, I mean, on the weekend, we've got 9.30 to 2 mm-hmm. and 8.30 to 1 on Golf Channel. So, like, right. we're rocking. Yeah. It's going to be it's great. It's getting a lot, of, a lot of prime coverage, um, you know, leading in with the Olympics. And, you know, it, it will get, you know, some notoriety. It's just unfortunate from the, the field perspective. But maybe this helps, you know, elevate some conversation about a similar LPG. PGA Tour domestic event and how to figure out a way to make that work. I think that's kind of the ultimate goal of some of these, you know, the European Tour has done a lot with their creativity of events. They had that six hole event and the six hole match play event. They recently talked about had the event in Sweden. So they're pushing the envelope a little bit. Um, Now that the European Tour is kind of in cahoots with the PGA Tour, I mean, the outcome can only be good in all of this. Yeah. Totally. Oh, yeah. It's a lot of just like curiosity. Mm-hmm. Um, so moving on, though, we have what well, we have the Olympics and I'm not, you know, we got to figure out our schedule and when we'll chat again. Um, okay. But I figured because the next time that we may like record the women probably wouldn't have even, they might not have even teed off yet. The women's right. individual, um, the men do, they start tomorrow. So that's exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, but for those who don't know, you know, when did, um, golf return to the Olympics? What's the format? Like we're all excited about gymnastics and, you know, beach volleyball, but golf is here too. So tell us a little bit about golf in the Olympics. So this is the, uh, the return, the second Olympiad that golf's been at 2016 in Rio was the first. Yeah. Justin Rose and NB Park both took home gold medals um, and Matt Kuchar didn't he yeah I think Matt it's, Kuchar he was like third third yeah third. Matt Kuchar came flying in the back door like he does on a Sunday for a big <laughs> it was a bronze medal there never 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 thought he'd actually win but he struck that medal I think the disappointing thing for the Olympics is it's just regular 72 hole stroke play and there's right. potential for you know, two person teams, maybe it's a male, female team, female, female, it doesn't matter, or a different format or a format similar to what was done at the, the two person event in Midland, Michigan, a couple weeks ago on the right. LPGA side and the men duplicate that format at the Zurich and New Orleans. 
Right. I think the Olympic Committee or whoever, the International Federation of Golf or something, I think it is, just kind of dropped the ball on this because we see enough 72-hole stroke play events. And as the Olympics, it takes time to kind of really get a lot of momentum going on the golf side because there are so many big events. But if you're going to make this a big event, I just think you need to do something different. Um, you know, there's not going to be any fans at this one. The fields are kind of, you know, super top heavy, and then it falls off based on, you know, country qualification. So, right. you know, uh, there's, you know, four American men, four American females. South Korea has four females. Um, you know, there's a lot of big names participating. Um, there is, you know, juice in the event, but I think if you had a different format or some sort of a team format, I mean, everybody loves the Olympics because you, you, you get behind stories that you don't even know. I mean, last night I'm watching the, the breaststroke girl, what Jacoby from yep. Alaska. And it's like, you're cheering for people that you don't even know because there's patriotism and there's an event. And I'm just not sure a 72 hole stroke play event is the best vehicle to, you know, increase the Olympic momentum and movement. At right. least on the yeah, it's interesting because you could, if you say you made it like three days, if you did a mixed format and like you had winners for that, and then, you know, you kind of like start over with some sort of like alternate shop and maybe it's women and like, and men's teams. And then the final day is maybe singles. Um, mm -hmm. And then you're giving out medals for like kind of different things. Then you have like all around team. You could do just like a composite score amongst the three days. There's so much, like there's, the opportunity is huge. Like you said. So um, I, I'm curious, like, can they change it? Or is it kind of like, <laughs> this is what we've done. <laughs> they add events. I mean, the swimming, yeah. events, you know, they, they add events, they take away events you know, things evolve. I don't think you're, you're married to 72 whole stroke play forever, but it, I mean, it's maybe just easier. Yeah. I don't know because again, I don't know if that was done because the, the bottom of the field tends to be so weak that maybe they thought that, you know, what if some, a, a player from country X doesn't have a, an, a partner to play in? I, I don't know, but it, it just, I think they could have done a lot more and that comes up a lot on social media and on Twitter, but I think they kind of just took the easy way out. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll have to discuss again next week and see. Absolutely. Do some like t team stuff. I mean, I'm excited about team USA, but obviously, you know, the South Korea team's probably going to be awesome. Um, right. Even some of the European teams will be really strong, you know, England and, mm -hmm. Uh, even like France. I wonder if Celine Boutier is on the team. That's the thing. I, I need to like do a, a little bit of research. I think she is playing because I don't, I'm pretty sure she's not playing this week. Uh, but I know like Charlie Hall was invited and she's not playing. So that's the other thing that's challenging too with the Olympics is you have people, because the schedule's so condensed when you have people, you know, committing, decommitting, not, you know, buying in it again it, it, it'll get some momentum but I think it's going to take some time yeah and then like to take it even further like do you make it one of those sports where you use amateurs instead because there's more incentive for them right right 
just going all over the place with the right, Olympics. but then you know the golf channel or whoever is carrying the tv rights is going to say we'd rather see nb park playing against nelly corda than you know people they Rose, don't know right the, the best amateur you know american versus the, the best amateur korean you know in many cases most people don't know yeah yeah i know there's like so much they could do and hopefully it just can, I hope it continues to evolve rather than just the same thing every four years. Yeah. I feel like, especially kind of on the men's side, the buy-in hasn't been as strong from some of the players and you feel like, you know, in Rio there was, it was new. There was a lot of uncertainty. There was concerns about the Zika virus at the time. And now here you have COVID and some of the issues with players, you know, failing COVID tests, players not wanting to go, the disc, the course is an hour and a half from where they're staying. Like it's, it's just struggling to kind of get a lot of momentum that hopefully in three years when it's in France, that can be cleaned up a little bit. Got it. Well, we'll talk about it again next week. So can't wait. Can't wait. Well, thanks for coming on. We Again, we got to figure out the name of this thing. Maybe by the time it's posted, I'll have a great name for it. Um, you're, you're the creative director. I'm just a small, small, you know, auxiliary, auxiliary piece. You're the color commentary, so get excited. <laughs> hey, I'm always excited. We'll come up with something. I'll get my creative juices flowing. We'll come up with something. But no, this was a lot of fun. I know it took yeah. it normally would, but it's kind of, I think I have an interesting story on how I came to the LPGA just yeah. as a fan and as a supporter, um, you know. And I think you it's going to be a great journey for us. Yeah. Our number one, our number one fan upstairs, my wife is, doesn't have Anna to watch this week. So I don't know what she's going to do with herself. But <laughs> sure, you've got to find somebody else to like right. become a she's big gotta fan find of. Another, another player. We're going to be housing a whole platoon of players just so Steph has someone to root for. <laughs> hey, I think it's great. Well, yeah. I will talk to you next week. All right. And, and thanks so much. Thank you. Have a great day. You too.